Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the every little step I take edition, as the 2-2 two and two Bengals look to continue to climb in the AFC North as they face the Baltimore Ravens on Sunday Night Football. Coming up, I'll talk to Chris Collinsworth, who will call the game on NBC with Mike Tirico. Tyler Boyd joins me before returning to the scene of his most famous NFL highlight. I'll discuss the Bengals' running game woes with Dave Lapham. And finally, it's our Know the Foe segment as we visit with the voice of the Baltimore Ravens, Jerry Sandusky. The Bengals Booth Podcast is brought to you by Paycor. More than 29,000 customers trust Paycor to help them recruit, pay, engage, and retain employees. Now, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. It's the greatest thing since the elevators at the Center at 600 Vine. Every Tuesday, I go into an office building at 600 Vine Street in downtown Cincinnati to tape a TV show for Bally Sports Ohio. I'm here to tell you that I have never been in a building with better elevators. I take one elevator from the parking garage to the main floor and then another elevator to get to the Bally Sports Studio. And when you hit the button, there's never a wait. So, kudos to whoever designed the elevator system at 600 Vine. It's like the elevators are clairvoyant. Now, time for us to peer into the future and look ahead to Sunday's game in Baltimore, beginning with a former Bengals wide receiver and current Bengals season ticket holder. It's Sunday Night Football this week, meaning that Chris Collinsworth will be in the booth for NBC instead of in his seat at Paycor Stadium. What did you think of the atmosphere last Thursday night for the whiteout and the record crowd against the Dolphins? I told the commissioner, actually, because I was in the box with him, that I thought other than uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers game way back with Carson Palmer and the whole Chris Henry injury, and I thought other than that game, that was the most electric I had ever seen that stadium. Um, it was, A, it was, I love the unis, right? It's so cool. I, I just loved it. It was like when I was studying the film of it, getting ready for this game, I was like, it's white. It's like watching them run around in an x-ray or something. You know, just black and white. You just don't see that in the NFL, maybe other than Penn State kind of thing. But um, it, it was fantastic. That was a big win, too, you know, for them. that they They needed every ounce of that crowd, and they got it. Chris, when the Bengals opened 0-2, did you figure no big deal? They would get this thing back on the tracks? You knew they had a better team than what they were showing, uh, but I hate it when you lose opening day. There's something about, especially how they lost opening day with, they got dudes making an extra point at the end of the game, and, you know, now you're 3-1, and you're in first place by yourself. Uh, but to jump out 0-2 and, and start that way, I, I was I was definitely concerned um, but you also had to figure that there had to be a little bit of time, Joe getting back after the appendectomy, the offensive line, getting themselves in gear. Um, and now you just hope to see him get a little uptick on the, on the, with the running game. That would be sort of the last piece of it. You caught passes from the Bengals, two previous Super Bowl quarterbacks, Kenny Anderson and Boomer Esiason. Compare and contrast Joe Burrow to those two Bengals QBs. 
Yeah, I think he's a lot more like Kenny Anderson. He's a lot more of sit in the pocket, understand exactly what's happening to him. Uh, one of the most impressive drives I thought that he had all year was that opening drive last week that the quarterback can do the best job of anybody of protecting himself with some quick throws, quick releases, get the ball out of his hands. And that was Kenny Anderson. You know, he understood all of that. Boomer was going to be in a, the Wild West fist fight every week and we never knew what he was going to do. But Kenny really manipulated the defense, manipulated the pass rush. And I, I, that's what I always thought Joe Burrow was, but I really saw it in that opening drive last week. We're visiting with Chris Collinsworth. You mentioned the Bengals running game. Joe Mixon convened a meeting with his offensive line last week to try to get it untracked. What do you see when you watch the Bengals running game right now? They're still getting there. There's a lot being thrown at uh, Bolson, the, the left guard position. It seems like every stunt that anybody wants to ever run is always sort of run at him just to try and make him make a rookie mistake. Uh, Karras is the right person to be next to him, you know, to try and coach him along. And because I think he really gets the game. Uh, Lyle Collins is not close to what Lyle Collins has been in the past. I assume that back injury is still a bit of an issue and hopefully he's ramping up, you know, as they go along through the season, because he can be such a dominating presence in the run game uh, and just overpowering. I really, I think that most people hope that Kappa and Collins would be sort of that, that run force on that side while they were getting Bolson up and running at the guard position. So yeah, there's uh, there, there's reason for hope. I, I, I thought that it was the first time I'd really seen Hayden Hurst, uh, the tight end in this offense. I thought, I think he's impressive. I, I just think he's really impressive that, you know, former first round draft pick, he, some of the catch and run things he did. Uh, I thought he was an effective blocker. Uh, so there's a lot of upside left in this offense. The Bengals' defense has given up four touchdowns in four games. Does Cincinnati belong in the discussion as one of the best defensive teams in the NFL? And what impresses you about Lou Anarumo's crew? Uh, first, I like Lou. I, I think Lou is he's a lifetime defensive back coach, and it shows. I mean, they do a lot of stuff on the back end. And you want to know why is this rookie or that rookie not getting a chance to play? And I guess in this case, Daxton Hill. There is a lot for them to know. And so when they have veteran players back there, they can do a lot of different things and a lot of different looks. Um, but, yeah, when you have two players on the edge, and, and we all talk about Trey Hendrickson and what he's done as a pass rusher since he's come here, and I agree with that. And Sam Hubbard's not quite the pass rusher that he is. But Sam Hubbard is one of the best football players that I've seen on tape. The, the game he had against the run uh, against Miami was second to none. I'm telling you, second to none. It was fantastic. And now he will have a huge role in trying to shut down Lamar because this is a challenge. Now, this guy can do things. And I know everybody wants to say he's not this and he's not that. I, I say baloney. He can throw it from the pocket. No matter what you try and do in the run game, you've got to assign two guys to him. Um, he is he is one of the most dangerous threats in all of football, and I think very much in the discussion for the MVP 
despite them blowing two 17-point leads in the second half, they could easily be the 4-0 team that we're all talking about. They're 2-2. Two and two. The Bengals are 2-2. Two and two. You've got Burrow. You've got Lamar. It's going to be a great show on NBC on Sunday night. What are some of your keys to the matchup? You know, I, I, I really think it's going to come down to, on for the Bengals side, can they get him into passing situations where Lamar has to get out of that, you know, three-ring circus offense where they've got people running in 17 different directions, and it's it's really hard to figure out because – and who knows what they're going to do with their left tackle position. They've got a rookie over there. I'm not sure how to say his name, Falele or something like that. Uh, another rookie at center. So you, your preference would be the Bengals edge pass rushers going against two tackles that aren't as athletic as those guys um, can be. And then on the offensive side, I, I just think it's um, simply, can they balance out this offense? Because um, their three receivers can play with anybody. I'm telling you, with anybody. And um, but the the Ravens will have better corners this time around. Marcus Peters to be back after he was out all year. Marlon Humphrey, I think, is one of the better players in the entire league. So I love the matchups. It may come down a little bit. Can Tyler Boyd take on Brandon Stevens in the slot? Um, but who pass protects? Who gets their running game going? Uh, is probably the winner here. Chris, I want to end with last Sunday's game against the Chiefs because you had a priceless reaction to Patrick Mahomes' spinning shot-put-toss touchdown pass in that game. You said it was like a dad playing with little kids in the backyard. After all these years of playing and broadcasting NFL football, you seem to genuinely still just be amazed by some of the things that these guys do. Is that accurate? I am dazzled by them i really am and you know what's kind of fun about it is that the 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 players are allowed to have fun now the andy reeds of the world encourage personality and so you see a little bit of that backyard flair you know you see it uh, you're going to see it again this week with lamar i mean there are going to be some plays you go oh you know what are you doing stop it don't do that and then there are going to be some plays you go I can't believe he just did that. And to me, football is still a show. It's still entertainment. And I think those guys are have more freedom to try to make plays, to try and create. I, I would have loved to have played in today's game. I really would have. We were so disciplined in how we ran our routes. And I, the way they, they study everything today, uh, people would have known everything we did in advance and pre-snap. But now there's this creative element to the game that really has made it more fun, more entertaining, a little NBA-ish in some cases that with, they have a chance to create. So, uh, yeah, I, I do love it. I do really love it. It is tremendous entertainment. It's going to be great on Sunday night. We look forward to your call and appreciate your time today. Thanks, Chris. You bet, Dan. Good talking to you. Chris spent several hours at Paycor Stadium on Wednesday talking to people from the team. I'm sure he'll have some great insight on Sunday night. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet capable of delivering multi-gigabit speeds designed to take your home, business, and community to a new level. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. The Bengals have played some memorable games in Baltimore over the years. 
Perhaps the most memorable was on New Year's Eve 2017. The Ravens needed a win to go to the playoffs and led the Bengals with less than a minute to go. Dalton catches the football. He's back to throw. Inches up in the pocket. Throws. Yeah. Caught by Boyd. To the 15. The 10. Yeah. The 5. Touchdown. Tyler Boyd Man. on 4th and 12. Man. It's a 49-yard touchdown. Ooh, and the Bengals lead with 44 seconds to go. That was the final game of Tyler Boyd's second NFL season. He's in year 7 now. And I caught up with him this week. Tyler, it's been nearly five years since your famous touchdown that knocked Baltimore out of the playoffs. When you walk out onto that field on Sunday, will you have a brief flashback to that moment? Yeah, you know, always, you know, because I kind of always look back at that play because it was probably one of, one of the most memorable plays of my life, you know. So just being able to, to continue to uh, walk out on that field and have another opportunity to create another special play, you know, is, is all I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for. How have Ravens fans treated you since? Uh, a, lot, a lot of dislikes, you know, <laughs> but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I'm, I'm around for, for the Cincinnati Bengals, and we're going to go out there and, and, and try to get this win. We're chatting with Tyler Boyd. Let's go back to last week's win over the Dolphins. You made two big plays in the second half, including a 23-yard pass to Jamar Chase. Now, this wasn't a the defense was completely fooled, you just lob it up there and the guy's wide open type of play. You had to fire a bullet for that to be complete. Describe that. Yeah, it was um, basically we should have, we only kept the play on because we thought they were giving us a man look, which I really could have showed my arm out because it was a down the field throw. But once they see me in motion, they kind of uh, showed what they were in and they went kind of two, Tampa or three, buzz or whatever it was. And uh, I just, being a football player, you know, I seen Chase open uh, in, in, in between a high safety in the corner. So I just had to figure a way to just, just fit it in there for him. Line drive throw, good spiral. That had to feel good. Definitely, you know, you know, I played, I played a little QB in my day, so um, I, I knew I was going to make the throw. All right, so let the record show you've completed three passes in the NFL. You completed three passes in college, so this is nothing new for you. Do receivers around the league know which receivers can throw the ball well? No, not really, you know, but for those game planning me, I'm pretty sure they're probably on alert because of my past history. But going into games, I'm pretty sure uh, other teams or other receivers really don't pass too much, you know, and when they do, it's going to be out the blue, some sort of trick plays, but you kind of don't know who's going to do it. We're chatting with Tyler Boyd. There are a lot of great leaders on this team, but I think your unselfishness has been a big key to the Bengals' success because you're the veteran among the wide receivers. You had back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, but you seem perfectly fine if the ball is going to Jamar or T instead of you. Do you think your attitude has filtered down to the other guys? Yeah, absolutely, you know, because I can be a, a guy that's that's selfish, you know, and kind of could bring – the level of playing down to a lot of guys, especially with the guys in my room, you know, because if I feel the way towards them guys and complaining in the huddle or just complaining about less catches and things like that, then maybe they'll start stop having my back, you know, because they'll look at me very selfish. And I know what I bring to the table and I know what I can do when my number is caught. So, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, every game won't go my way, and I know that. And not now that uh, they know about Chase. You know, he's starting to, you know, feel that the same thing I've been feeling. But now that he knows how connected and how unselfish we are, he he, he understands uh, the position he's in. So now that I've been a veteran and been through this up and down and been around in the offense, you know, I, I kind of know how, 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 how things will play out sometimes. I'm one of five kids. 
All of the kids are very different, different personalities. You three wide receivers seem like brothers, but your personalities are very different. Is it like a family? Yeah, it is, you know, because like you said, uh, all three of us have different personalities, you know, but one thing about us, we talked before, we're all unselfish, you know, but we all love to come in and compete, and we all push each other uh, to see who's better. Not necessarily uh, figure out who's the best receiver, but we push each other to do certain things to uh, – to, to drive us, to make us even better, you know. So I think just having that type of chemistry and connection with just, just everybody in our room as a collective whole, you know, I think uh, empowers the whole unit as a, as a whole. A couple more questions for Tyler Boyd. You beat the Ravens twice last year. Both games were lopsided. At this level, with veteran pros who play 17 games a year, is there a revenge factor when you beat a team like that twice by 20 or more points? Absolutely. You know, despite how how the score was, you know, it's huge margins. But at the end of the day, just losing to any division team uh, twice in a year, you know, hurts you, you know, because you got to at least win once to uh, advance to the playoffs, you know. So I know they'll come back with vengeance, but uh, we're, we're uh, built for that, you know, and, and we're not going to take nothing for granted. We're not going to uh, sit back and reflect on how we beat them last year and come out lightly and think we're going to do it again because they're a talented team. And the second game, you know, they didn't really have their key players, and that was kind of a excuse or a reason how we did them like that the second time. But at the end of the day, they're going to get uh, our, our, our full potential each and every game, regardless who's out there. The offense is getting better. You've scored 27 points in each of the last two games. But it's been a while since you've had 30-plus. I think it goes back nine games going back to last year, if you include the playoffs. Is there anything specific you need to do better or something you need to eliminate in order for the offense to take off the way that you know it's capable of taking off? It's kind of a gray area to say because at the end of the day, I think if we just execute more plays, you know, on, on a third and shorts, on a short yardage plays and execute and get more first downs, then I think we absolutely surpassed 30 points. You know, I think us as players in a unit, we had to do a better job of, of doing our jobs. You know, we all have to be on cue onto each each and every play, you know, and um, I think the points just start coming because we're a very, very fundamental offense and we we all do the, the right thing, but, you know, it's always going to be certain plays where you get got, you know, you can't be perfect. It's not a such thing as a perfect perfect offense or a perfect team, so, I mean, as much as we want to score that many points to uh, really, to keep stress off, off our defense, then, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to figure a way. I hope you have another memorable game in Baltimore, and I always appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate you. Tyler should have some opportunities to make plays this week because you have to think that the Ravens will be double-teaming and or bracketing Jamar Chase all night after what he did to them last year. Jamar had eight catches for 200 yards in Game 1 and seven catches for 125 yards in Game 2. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. Find both inside the Bengals app. After allowing 13 sacks in their first two games, the Bengals gave up just two sacks in their win over the Jets and only one sack in their win over the Dolphins. So the offensive line is getting better. But the running game remains a work in progress. Of the top 50 rushers in the NFL through four games, Joe Mixon ranks last in yards per carry at 2.7. His career average going into the season was 4.1. Joe says he's confident that things will soon get better behind his rebuilt offensive line. 
They, them boys, they, they put in the work. And, um, you know, last week we even had a meeting. Um, I called for a meeting with them to, you know, just see what they're thinking on certain runs or what they think I should do on certain runs. And I feel like that will definitely be beneficial down the road and taking that next step on, you know, coming together and building that chemistry on and off the field. And um, I think that's going to take us a long way, especially, you know, down, down the road. So I look forward to it. What came out of that meeting with the line? What did you learn from it? Um, like I said, it's pretty much just building that chemistry and having them see what I'm seeing on certain blocks. Or, you know, if they could just torque a guy a different way or if they can just cut somebody off backside or I could just hit this a little faster or hit backside. Like, it's just little things that, you know, we didn't see over, over the course of time. But, I mean, like I said, man, I'm very optimistic. I mean, I, have, I haven't lost, like, not near confidence in the run game and what I'm capable of and what I know they're capable of. I asked my broadcast partner Dave Lapham about Joe Mixon calling for a meeting with the O-line. Yeah, they've done it before. I mean, they've, they've watched tape uh, as an offensive line and tight ends with Joe. That's not the first time that they've done it, and I, I think it's a good sign. I mean, I think it's like, look, we're not happy with where we are. Let's, let's, uh, let's do everything we possibly can to improve it. Joe's a captain. Joe organized the thing, and, uh, you know, I, a lot of guys, I think it was over his house, if I'm not mistaken. I know Hayden Hurst was talking about being over at Joe Mixon's house looking at tape, so I think the tight ends were involved, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a work in progress, and, and like... Like every situation, when you're struggling, it's not. It, there's not ten people breaking down, and Joe is the only guy that is doing everything right. I mean, it's different things are happening at different times, and it might only be one thing. Front side's got it blocked great. Don't get the cutoff block. Boom, problem. Have it blocked well. Joe doesn't see it exactly clearly. Makes a wrong cut. The double team on the front side. It, 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 the, the synchronization has to be perfect. You can't leave before the other guy has taken over the uh, hitting surface of the down lineman or else the down lineman is going to split him. You can't leave too late or else the linebacker's flowing and you can't get... So the timing, the coordination, the rhythm of these double and rubs and all that sort of thing is, is, is huge. So all it takes is one guy to break down and you're going to have some issues. And it's not the same guy every single player, or else they just replace the guy. And so it's this guy one play, that guy another play. The running back read it wrong uh, th- this play. So it, in some cases, it's just an inch. It's really literally just inches where a guy, a couple of runs, Joe got tripped. Defensive lineman tripped him. No call. Mm-hmm. Happens. Um, but it, it, and if they didn't trip him, it was, was going to be some pretty good runs. The problem in Joe's situation, the last game against the Dolphins, he had 24 carries. Ten of his carries went for zero, one, or uh, 12 of his carries went for zero, one, or two yards. Couple that with the fact that his longest rush was seven yards. So now you're going to have horrific average. If he had busted one for 25, it wouldn't look that bad on an average per carry. But it would still be a problem because 23 out of 24 runs, it just wasn't good enough. So now the fact that he hasn't busted any explosives, it's glaring. People are like, what the hell is wrong with the running game? So it's not like you're going to, you know, throw it overboard and say, you know, this, this is, a, this is a, a hopeless cause. They're so close, they just have to keep grinding, and it'll pop. And when it pops, 
it'll probably pop pretty big. 2019 was his third NFL season. It was Zach Taylor's first as the Bengals head coach. In the first half of that year, the running game was abysmal. Atrocious. Just atrocious. And then on the flight to London, before taking on the Rams, they really tried to figure out what can we do to get something out of the running game. They basically changed their primary runs, got away from the wide zone, tried the pin and pull, went to gap blocking. running attack. Yep, yep. And in the second half of the year, he was incredible. He was more than 800 yards in the final half of the season. I think that's given Joe confidence that they will fix this and get it going. Should they be looking at stuff like that about, you know, really changing the types of runs that they're going to? Well, my, my, my thought after watching Samaj P. Ryan in the offensive line operate, let Joe go a little more north and south, make a quicker decision on the, on the wide zone, uh, on the stretch play, whatever you want to term it. I think it's like he's trying to hit a home run every time, you know. Take the single and double. Take those for a while, you know. Don't try to hit a home run every time and make the perfect cut. Uh, and, and in those situations, you know, Three guys will have their position properly. The fourth guy, the guy works over his face and makes a play. You know, it's just, it's just like one, one minor breakdown, and it turns into a problem. But I do think that when a running back is struggling, in my opinion, the best thing to do for him is to have the offensive line come off the ball with some confidence and some spirit, and gap blocking can do that, and let Joe get north and south, like Samaje did. Samaje just, he wasn't thinking about anything. He was like, put a foot in the ground and go. And he'd square his shoulder pads up and, and lower those shoulder pads and run with a good body lean. And he was averaging over five yards of carry. And on that drive, they get the ball with 10 minutes and change left. And he, he has eight rushes uh, of the 12 plays in that drive. Eight of his nine carries were in that drive. And their goal was to take a knee and run the clock out. And they came close to doing it. Missed a 41-yard field goal with just a little over two minutes to play. They won on an eight-minute drive of thereabouts. That's what, that's what Bill's con- – I thought that might have been a turning point. I honestly, Dan, thought when Joe rushed that five-yard touchdown, the offensive line, it was like a, a body surf a five yards into the end zone. They mashed everything and everybody. And Joe, Joe could have scored from, you know, 10 yards out. And, and uh, I thought, yeah, that's, that's a good sign. Keep coming downhill like that. And then it evaporated again. So um, they're – there are, are indicators, you know, that they're close. They just got to get it over the top. Because if they can, if they can get a, 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 you know, it doesn't have to be spectacular, but a solid ground game going with the weapons that they've got, they could be a real snoopful for any defense in the National Football League. There's no doubt because, you know, then you're looking at play-action pass. You're looking at all kinds of things. And if you can stay ahead of the chains, that's one thing they were doing, Dan. They had first five third-down conversions with third and one. You can play action pass, you can run, you can do anything you want. And they converted all five of those. So if they get a running game going and stay ahead of the chains, they are dictating totally. They are punching and the defense is counter punching. You don't want it the other way around where the defense is punching you and it's third and eight, third and nine, here they come and you gotta be counter punching. Well, Joe Mixon is averaging 2.7 yards per run. Lamar Jackson is averaging 8.5. He's ninth in the NFL in rushing yards through four games, and he's one of only two quarterbacks in NFL history to rush for more than 1,000 yards in a season. Michael Vick did it once. Lamar has done it twice so far. 
So how does a team practice for a quarterback who might be the fastest guy on the field? In the Bengals' case, they are using defensive back Cam Taylor Britt, a former high school quarterback with 4.38 speed in the 40, to play the role of Lamar Jackson at practice. Tell us about trying to help the team by impersonating him as well as you can. Honestly, just watching the film on him and just trying to do everything possibly, you know, that he does, you know, so I can help his defense out and give him the best look possible for Sunday. Is it fun? Most definitely. <laughs> He's like a, a player that you, you know, create on, on Madden, so you really have to kind of imitate that, you know, for the defense so they can get a real look. Like the Bengals, the Ravens are 2-2 two and two after playing four straight games against the AFC East. They beat the Jets 24-9 and the Patriots 37-26, but they blew a 21-point lead in the fourth quarter and lost to the Dolphins 42-38, and they blew a 17-point lead late in the second quarter and lost last week to the Bills 23-20. The voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky, joined us on the Bengals Game Plan Show this week, and I asked him how Baltimore squandered those big leads. Well, Dan, it's kind of a combination of things. One, you know, the, the Miami game, the secondary had three rookies on the field. There was a lot of mental mistakes, some some communication errors. They left the back door wide open. And when you have the speed the Dolphins have, they took advantage of it. And so it was costly rookie mistakes. And then, you know, last week had a similar situation with Josh Allen. And it's easy to point all the fingers at the defense. But the offense plays a role in this as well. In the fourth quarter this season, Lamar doesn't have a touchdown pass, and he has three turnovers. There was, you know, the controversial decision: Do the Ravens kick the field goal at the end? Do they go for the touchdown? Well, they went. They went for the touchdown. Lamar throws an interception, and then it's you know it's game over from there. So, the, uh, to me, one of the biggest factors is unlike in recent years, the Ravens' running game isn't putting games away in the fourth quarter the way they have the, the last couple of years. So. You know, it's, it's easy to stand and say, oh, it's the defensive back or it's this guy or it's the defensive coordinator. It's not that simple. It really is a lot of variables to play. So you think about the Ravens. It's almost like, you know, the inverted wishbone. It's like a college football running game, 305-pound fullback. Uh, you know, they've got uh, the inverted bone. They've got all these different things. They have a quarterback. Is And is he really 230 pounds, Jerry? Has he gotten that big? I, I see in the – Listed in the roster, he's 6'2", 230, and, and I mean, he runs what's still sub 4'4". It's amazing with all of that that they're struggling in the running game. Is it due to the offensive line still gelling a little bit, the injury, is it left tackle, the rookie center, all of that? So it's a little bit of that. The rookie center, I think, Tyler Linderbaum is doing a great job. I mean, you're yeah. going to love what he does. He, he's really, every week, he's progressing. So he, he's right on target. They, they are down to their you know, fourth tackle. The rookie, Daniel Fa'alele, who was a backup right tackle, he had to play left tackle last week. So not having Ronnie Stanley has definitely been a factor. But an equally big factor is until the last two weeks, they didn't have J.K. Dobbins. For a yep. second year in a row, they had running backs who are either past their prime, aren't comfortable in the system, just aren't a great fit with this offense. And so now they got J.K. Dobbins back. Dobbins is getting back up to speed. They got Gus Edwards back on the practice field today. I highly doubt you'll see him on Sunday. But at least the pieces are coming back under the chessboard that I've been missing for the Ravens. So, you know, you, you take too many pieces off the board, it's really hard to do what you've done in the past, and that's kind of where they've been. What about Ronnie Stanley, Jerry? I know he's practiced a little bit. He only played in one game last year. Uh, Bengals defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo said today they're expecting him to play. Is he right? Do you think he'll play on Sunday night? 
I think he will. He was really close to playing last week, but did not play. And, look, the Ravens have taken a very conservative approach with injuries this year because last year Stanley felt like he was rushed. He felt pressured to play in the first game of the season. He re-aggravated the injury, didn't play all of last year. He's only played in one of the last 31 games. And I think there's a feeling of, let's make sure it's right. And, and while it was, it was really close, it was a game-day decision last week, whether he played or not, I think long-term it makes sense to just err on the side of being conservative and make sure he is 110% so that once Ronnie Stanley returns, and I expect him back this week, he returns for good. Defensively, Don Wink Martindale is now a, a giant defensive coordinator. Mike McDonald was a coordinator with uh, Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, John's brother, but he was on the staff with Wink Martindale. You know, he, he's familiar with the players. The players are familiar with him. But it seems like the defense is a little bit more multiple, doing some additional things, particularly coverage-wise. Uh, they're less predictable with their blitz patterns. They'll still blitz. I mean, but it's not one of those crazy things. They'll, they'll, they'll blitz five, and they'll bring, like, a linebacker. They'll bring a safety. They'll bring a nickel corner, those kind of things. And, and, and it's, a little bit, it's a little bit different, but it's still pressure-oriented, isn't it? It is pressure-oriented, but you don't see nearly as much cover zero. Now, Wink, yeah. Wink Martindale's philosophy is, is pressure breaks pipes. Well, unfortunately, in the second half of last year, the pipes that were getting broken were the Ravens. And so you know, I think they became predictably unpredictable was, was the phrase used around the castle. And so with Mike McDonald, you're seeing a lot more multiple looks. You're seeing a lot more two, three, cover four, different coverages. And you're seeing different blitz packages. You're not, you know, you're, you're not seeing necessarily blitzes when you expect it. They're, try, they're trying to reintroduce the, the element of unpredictability to when and where they pressure as they mix that. And, and one of the things I will say for, you know, he's been taking some heat because of the two late-game collapses, but he's a 34-year-old defensive coordinator. He's in his first year. He's a young guy, and he's learning on the job. And one of the things, we saw different coverages last week than we saw in the first three weeks of the season, which to me is a great sign. You know, when you're feeling pressure, you, you tend to in life – go back to what you know and not expand and not try new things. And he's still expanding. You know, he's, he's trying new things. He's introducing things step-by-step step for his players. So I think in the long term, it's going to work out. But there are short-term you know, growth pains, and that's not uncommon with young coaches. The voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky, is our guest. Here's my final question. It has to do with Lamar Jackson. Is his contract situation, the Ravens tried to give him a bundle of money, uh, he did not ultimately uh, accept the offer. Is that causing tension or, or hanging over this season for the Ravens? I don't think so. I, I, I don't think it's bothering the Ravens in the least. Uh, you know, if, if it's bothering Lamar, he doesn't let on about it. He handled himself very well. He was, he was quite diplomatic. There was no acrimony. There was no threats of holding out. There was none of that. From an organizational standpoint, the Ravens know that if they can't get a deal done, they've got the franchise tag they can use the next two years. That's not what they want to do, but the team still has the leverage. If Lamar puts together the kind of season he wants to put together and wins the Super Bowl, you know, I'm sure it'll be a much more engaging conversation at the negotiating table in the offseason. But because it doesn't have to be done tomorrow, because the team wants Lamar, Lamar knows he want, he's wanted, it's really down to how big the signing boat is going to be. I think both sides still feel like they will eventually get it done. Last week, third and one, don't score. Fourth and one, throw an interception. Uh, at the, this blew up on social media. 
uh, where Peters and John Harbaugh are chirping back and forth to each other a little bit over, you know, why didn't the field, why was it the field goal kick, yada, yada. Is there any lingering effect from that, or how, how has John Harbaugh handled it? Is everything okay with Harbaugh and Peters? Yeah, I think everything's fine there. Peters did not talk with the media today, but Marlon Humphrey, his running mate at the other corner, did. He said, look, we're a family. He said, you know, families fight, but we're fighting because we all want to win. And that's the big thing. If John Harbaugh was in in an argument with a player because he thought the player didn't care or wasn't giving his all, then you'd have a problem. But, you know, game day, when a coach and a player get into it because they both want to win so much and they might disagree on the play or the call or the philosophy, they are on the same page when it comes to do what it takes to win. I don't think you're going to see any long-term problems there. Harbaugh loves the competitiveness of Marcus Peters, and he, he has no problem with guys showing that level. And, he, it, you know, John's a veteran coach. He's 15th year, so he understands what guys do and say sometimes in the heat of the decision that a game hangs on is a little different than what they might think about or say on a Wednesday. Our thanks to Jerry Sandusky, and here's an invitation to join us at the Wings and Rings Kings Mills location for the Bengals Pep Rally Show this Friday from 3 to 6. Rookie defensive end Jeffrey Gunter will join us in the final hour, and we'll have plenty of giveaways throughout the show. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, presented by Alta Fiber, future-proof fiber internet. Elevate your connection with Alta Fiber. By Kettering Health, the official healthcare provider of the Cincinnati Bengals. By Bengals Picks and Ultimate Bengals. They're free to play with tickets and signed merchandise up for grabs. And by Paycor, the official HR software provider of the Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find us. I'm Dan Horde. Thanks for listening to the Bengals Booth podcast.